One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. And I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's five, and Kenny, he's two. And I have three kids. Tony is 10, Livia and Nate are 7, and they're so adorable. They're so, <laughs> so adorable. <laughs> Online school means you're with your kids all day long. And this is what Livia and Nate have been doing that is a little bit adorable. When they have an online meeting for their class, they're in the same class, they pin one another so that instead of seeing like the active speaker as the primary <laughs> image, they see one another. <laughs> and they're just one room over. <laughs> and they see each other all day long anyway. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense at all to me, but everything I've read about distance learning is like, now's not the time to fill their heads with knowledge. Now's the time to fill their hearts with love. And so I'm just, I, I can't be too critical about the choices they're making. I think that's kind of lovely. Your kids love each other. It's so kind of a weird twin thing, I think. <laughs> so do you have a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful your kids are? We're getting the parenting out of the way right away. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So Jay is five and he cannot whistle. What's more, I'm not really sure he understands what whistling is because he totally thinks he can whistle. Like he puts his two fingers in his mouth and just makes like a really high-pitched squeaking sound and just thinks that's whistling. And I mean, at this point, it just seems like it would take too much work to correct him. So that's fine. He pretty much only uses it to call the dog. But recently, Kenny has started doing it, too. So over the weekend, it was just like the two of them high-pitched squeaking with their fingers in their mouths. <laughs> oh, that sounds really enjoyable to listen to. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely reached, like, noise deafness. I just don't even hear it anymore when they make what to normal humans would be an absurd level of ruckus. I just don't even hear it. That is funny. I We went on a hike this weekend and I was carrying Libby on piggyback for a little bit. And all, she's like talking in my ear the whole time and I'm tuning her out. And all of a sudden Jeremy's like, Deborah, she wants to get down. <laughs> <laughs> and I just tuned it all out. So can you whistle? You're on your own with like two fingers in your mouth? I can whistle, but not with two fingers in my mouth. Although, although I guess I could, but it would probably sound the same as my normal whistle. I can't do that like super high-pitched whistle that like some people can. sport fan mm -mm. whistling me neither. No. In today's Screen Time in the News segment, we're discussing children's programming with Danny Labreck, creator and host of Danny Joe's Treehouse, a live-action kids show starring Danny various guests, and a whole host of puppets. Welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, Danny. 
Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I've been dying to ask you. I'm going to jump in with a question before you get to ask one. Who's singing your theme song? Whose children are, are those? Oh, that's me. Are those <laughs> your kids? kids? Yeah. Okay. I love it. It's That's the key to a catchy song, a hook that repeats over and over again. And that's well done. Well Thank done. you. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. So we've been podcasting for a few years and so the theme song was right when we started so like three years ago it was a while ago so it's something in in our family we have a tradition it's almost we're coming up on um october you know halloween time which is a, a big time in our house and we have a a family tradition where every year the girls and i do a halloween show so from year to year you see the girls growing up as we do little parodies and craft projects together. And it's just a private video thing that we share with family and friends, but stuff like that. I, I love using technology and media in that way. That's so personal and the focus is on relationship and, and archiving your family's memories and experiences. Like that's, that's a really good use of technology. Yeah, definitely. We did a whole summer series in 2019. Speaking of technology, we tried to find good content for kids on YouTube, and it was a slog. There is a lot of dreck out there on YouTube. As somebody whose content is on YouTube, what is that like? And how does genuinely thoughtful and well-crafted content like your show, how do you rise above it? From what I understand, being seemingly successful on YouTube has very little to do with the actual content. There mm -hmm. are these checklists of short periods of time, fast cuts, certain words that you tag, title cards, you know, the, the unboxing videos, surprise egg videos. If there are, are live action characters, high, high-pitched mm -hmm. voices that are very kid-like, it's, it's pretty superficial. It's stimulation. And mm -hmm. that, that does really well for getting a ton of likes. The algorithm appreciates that, so you fall into a category where you tend to get viewed more often. And I think it's tricky. I think for most parents, not so much today, but I, I think that often with, with many parents, including myself, you look at the amount of views something has, and there's this thought of, well, that must be pretty good. That's, that's got to be good. That many people wouldn't be watching it if it wasn't good for my kid. Right. And, you know, that's not necessarily the case. It's the same thing with children's television. There was a shift about 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago now, where it went from a purely content driven creation to a focus on distribution. So the, the focus is on as many views as possible to bring in as much fi finance as possible. Cartoon, it's why cartoons rule. Um, you can dub it in lots of different languages, it can be worldwide, shorter periods of videos, get more views, and you move on to the next video and the next video and the next video. They're packaged together um, mm -hmm. so that you can, YouTube specifically, you can watch a half hour of, of whatever, Blippi or unboxing videos or not to knock Blippi. But, oh, we've but, not just Blippi. It's okay. You're hitting our greatest hits here. We definitely so, have discussed Blippi. Well, I, I don't, I don't personally know Stephen John. That's the guy that that created Blippi and plays Blippi. So I have no idea what he's like. But I know that his background was a marketing background, and he did a lot of research in this area 
um, so that he would have a successful program. And, and I think originally it was something he was doing for his nephew. There's lots of good intentions there. But to kind of circle that, I'm a chatterbox, and I take a long way to get to an answer. Um, but That's okay. I, but you're coming at it from like a, a legitimate child development background, right? Yes. Yeah, that is that is that is my field. If you're coming at children's education and, and entertainment um, from, from that perspective, you want to go slower and you, you want attention spans to be challenged a little bit. You want more sincere human engagement and, and honest open-ended questioning where you're not conditioned to, to answer the correct way. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's room to grow. And that doesn't get as many likes on, on YouTube. I have, I have a very small audience on YouTube, but I know every single one of my viewers. Like we, we've, we've established some form of interaction so that their feedback influences what our show is about, what our content is about. So it's very reflective to this moment and personal experiences that, that can be pretty, pretty complex beyond shapes and colors and, and good, good, good academic stuff. But we get more into the social emotional side of it. Sure. I love that the idea is you're just going to make good content and that's kind of irrespective of the platform that you've chosen. Well, it's it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of the the platform that was available for a long time. Like I started developing Danny Joe's Treehouse close to 20 years ago. Like in the classrooms, really experimenting what, with what the language would be and looking back at who I consider to be my predecessors, the live action hosts of the, the early 50s and going back to the late 40s. Uh, so I, I've been approaching it for, for a long time. And I was pitching it to traditional TV networks for a long time and getting just a ton of re- rejections. Everyone would say, oh, we get what you're doing and it is very important and we agree with you, but it's not going to sell in, in a nutshell. You can't mm-hmm. put that. You can't put that on a lunchbox, mm-hmm. and and that was very frustrating, <laughs> not just for for my own mission and goals, but but thinking about as a parent and as an educator, thinking about what children and parents and caregivers really deserve from their media, and and it was really really frustrating to keep getting that type of feedback that had nothing to do with what my actual content was was about. So I was I was really really bummed out with all of that. And then one day I realized that I had a supercomputer in my pocket that was essentially a television studio. And why am I sitting on all of these scripts and these concepts? And why, why, why don't I just start making stuff, just doing selfie style recordings and putting it up? And slowly I started adding more of a background and more of an environment and the puppets. But I was taking it advantage of not just YouTube, but Facebook and Facebook Live and uh, a bit on Instagram now and all the free stuff where I knew parents were at, were were exploring, Uh, but in conflict because at at the same time that I was going into those platforms, I was also kind of saying, maybe we could get off these platforms. Like, (laughs) like if you, if you like this, that's wonderful, but you can turn it off now and, and go, go do, do something else. And that might sound, I don't mean for that to sound judgy. I'm, I'm also a stay-at-home parent. I've been a stay-at-home parent since our, our girls were, were born. Brody's turning 10 in a couple of weeks and Flynn just turned eight. So I, I know what it's like to just need a moment to find your own center and, and use a screen as a tool to, to give them something to enjoy when they're done with playing with blocks and they're done with playing outside and they're tired too. 
And if you can find a trusted friend on the other side of the screen, that's great. Like I, I, I really do get that, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of a strange kid show creator. Like I, I really like creating content for families, but I don't necessarily like screens all that much <laughs> as, as they're being used right now. I think, I think they could be used in a much better way. Yeah. I feel like you're reading our question list. Have you hacked into my computer? Because it's like you're, everything is dovetailing very nicely into exactly what we wanted to ask. So we did want to ask if, in your opinion, the future is sort of siloing kids' content into either paid or ad-supported channels as opposed to these free services that have kind of a more anarchic for lack of a better word, scary collection of videos that parents don't feel like they can necessarily control. Well, I have I have hopes on it. I I know very recently with with YouTube specifically, the, there's a uh, the COP, COPPA Act has, has come out that has put in restrictions, good restrictions for creators who who say that they're creating for for kids. So no more commenting. There are restrictions on advertisements, although there are plenty of get-arounds with that still. Not to knock Blippi, poor Blippi again, but if you watch a Blippi video, there's still an advertisement at the top of those things. And I'm not sure why that is and how that works. And it's not just Blippi. There's other programs with, with large viewership because, of course, you know, it, it comes down to making that, that money for YouTube too. But I, I think with, with things like YouTube and social media, more so for adults, but... I think we're all at this point, we're smart, we're savvy, we, we've been, you know, we, we think of these tools as things that have been around for a while, the smartphone, the interactive screens and social media, but it's really brand new. We're still figuring it out. And I feel like we're at this point where we're, go, we're realizing, oh, we are, we're really being manipulated here. And, and, and maybe it didn't come from that scary place that, you know, the evil corporation head at the top of a mountain somewhere. I don't think it was that. I think it was people trying to develop something for good that would connect lots of human beings and then unexpected consequences through algorithms mm -hmm. and manipulation and us becoming monetized, our attention becoming monetized. Mm -hmm. we're, we're all pretty aware of that. We, we know how Facebook works. So I think if we can move forward in a way where in, instead of blaming the screen, a screen is, is just a tool. It's not any different from a stick outside in the mud. You decide how to use the stick. It can be used for building and creating and drawing, or it can be used to, to hurt somebody. And as responsible adults with experience, we, we need to be guides, emotional guides, and, and, and try to show how to use these screens in, in a positive way. And I feel, I feel like that we're right on the edge. I feel like there's, there's so many shifts, social shifts happening right now, right? But I feel with this specific conversation, I, I feel very hopeful. I feel like there's an awareness, a group awareness, you know, because everybody's having these sort of conversations right now. So my hope is that more platforms start coming up that are run not by algorithm, but by other parents and other caregivers and educators and psychologists that can review content and say, okay, this, this is good for the whole child and, and, and every child, not just in different categories based on traditions or faiths or non-faiths, but just all, all human beings. This is good stuff. This is going to feed our, 
our soul or spirit or humanity or whatever different name you put on it, you know? Like, I feel like we're going to start seeing more of those things. They're starting to come out now, um, but they're just not as seemingly popular because they don't have the numbers yet. Right. Um, but I think alternatives are, are coming. And again, that's kind of a hope, but I'm seeing it on the horizon. In a way, it's kind of like a throwback to those wonderful early days of Yahoo. Do you remember when they had like curated lists of links that were good sources? I do remember that. (laughs) Yeah, I do. History really does repeat itself. Yeah. How do you decide on Danny Joe's Treehouse what to cover? Because you tackle a lot of weighty issues and there's so much to cover. So how do you make it accessible to kids and their families? Uh, I feel I feel like the, the biggest part of that is is truly listening to, to families and listening to your own experience too. So I, I've got a whole lot of pen pals. People write, write to me a lot. Kids send me their pictures and, and grown-ups write to me and not necessarily looking for answers. Like I, I'm not trying to put myself in place of some guru or anything like that's not that's not what I do but as an early childhood educator I've always been taught that you're supposed to be a reflection of the adults the families that you serve you're part of that family and becoming part of that that family is is an honor and and the way that you um, get there is through consistency and and really truly listening and and looking for patterns so a lot of families bring up um, how do I, how am I going to talk to my kids about the differences that they're seeing? Not just the outside stuff, but the inside stuff too. Like our kids are picking up on things, you know, we are hearing it in the background through the media and through conversations that parents are having, or just picking up on an energy that's in a room. Like kids are really perceptive in that mm-hmm. way. And how do we, how do we guide them? Again, going back to that emotional guidance. And and I think that the the key is through um, this process of abstraction, which sounds very fancy, but it, really it's just play. Kids naturally look at what's going on in their world, experience it, and then they've got to let it out somehow. And it usually comes out through their play. And it can be very subtle. It's, it, it's not always like a direct representation of what's happening. But if you're really looking and you're really listening, you can get an idea of what a kid is aware with, uh, aware of. For example, you know, kids running around, going back to the stick analogy, going bang, bang, bang with sticks. Violent, dramatic play goes up a lot around periods of of violence, especially in cities like Baltimore, where I'm at, and back in Chicago, where I was before. Um, And so often, uh, many adults say, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, we don't play that way. And I understand where that's coming from. But if you allow that play, that's just that's just a safe way to explore it, to let out these ideas. And you also, as the adult, if you're really, truly listening, you've got the chance to get an idea of what they know, what they don't know, guide that, ask questions. Uh, if they're very young children that don't necessarily have the vocabulary yet, get into the play with them, play out different perspectives in a very general way. I compare it to to um like a dream, you know, when you're you're having this busy busy day and you go to sleep at night and you have this surreal crazy dream. It doesn't make any sense the dream that you're having, but in in the morning you feel you feel a little bit better. It's your subconscious working through it. 
not necessarily come to, coming to any conclusions or answers, but it's just working through it. And a young child at play is, it, it, it's like watching a dream. It's like a, a lucid dream. You get, to, you get to see your child's dream in, in a waking state. Like yeah. that's, a, that's a gift. So you watch that. I, I watch that type of play and I hear those types of stories and I interpret them and then I put them into uh, dramatic play. I very much use a, a, a Mr. Rogers approach of, of starting off in reality, going into make-believe or dramatic play, and then coming back out and analyzing it a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but never saying this is what the takeaway should be. Just just affirmation at the end, and it's, it's okay to work through those things. Because we avoid stuff like that so often. We stick to the shapes and the colors and the numbers, and childhood is beautiful and easy and carefree, but it's not all the time. Um, and for many, many, many children in, in our country and around the world, it's way harder than anything that privileged adults like myself experience. And, and it's really important to acknowledge that and represent it. Representation is, is really key. Mm-hmm. Whew, sorry, that's another long-winded <laughs> answer, but that's... No, that's perfect. That. You ended on one of Deborah's favorite buzzwords. <laughs> which which one? I feel like you used a bunch of them there. Representation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's funny that it's it's considered a, a buzzword, but it's yeah, that really is that really is key. People should see themselves reflected in their media and their experiences reflected in their media, because it's not necessarily the case anymore with the majority of stuff that's that gets the clicks on YouTube or 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 even in in the you know, the oldest trusted sources, like the PBSs, PBSs, the PBS, so many of those programs, as amazing as they are, they're brilliant, brilliant shows, but they're also, the majority of them are cartoons now with really big heads and really big eyes. And there's a focus on academics. And there's like one show that I can think of that focuses on social emotional stuff and does it very well. But even that, it's not really touching base with reality that much and there was a time in the past where we really dove into it and not just mr rogers and captain kangaroo but if you go way back to ding dong school with miss francis and kukla fran and ollie and and just hundreds and hundreds of local kids shows there's so much out there there's so many real human beings and they're out there now too but you gotta get a work to find them there's um carly shiraki is is a friend of mine she's she's her newest show is weird but true um, and she did the big fun crafty show and sunny side up show and sprout house hardest working woman in children's uh, <laughs> entertainment. Um, she's an amazing real human being soul. And I personally, I want to see more of who she truly is, you know, representing the work that she does. And, and she strives for that. And people like Tim Kubart and, and uh, many others, but, but the conversations that I've had with, with my, my peers at different levels is still if this push um, to to be kind of a a variation of yourself, almost a caricature of who you are, kid like, um, kid led is is a term that's used all the time by production companies and and producers. Kid led adventure. You can sell something if you if you, if you go that route. <laughs> but but a calm, cool voice. Like you don't you don't have to be silly all the time. You can you can talk about serious stuff in a kind way, and that's just as engaging. And, and yet, kids are attracted to seeing other kids in their media, but they also really deserve some adult guides, some adult guidance. 
you've given us a little bit of hope today, I think, for online content and the fact that there are creators out there that maybe have children's and family's best interests at heart. Sometimes it's hard to see from our perspective. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's so many. There's so many. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. We really appreciate it, Danny. Oh, it was my great pleasure. Listeners, you can find episodes of Danny Joe's Treehouse on YouTube and Facebook still, yes? Yeah. Um, well, Facebook, we, I do lots of live stream stuff. And and, and I, I'm not allowed to say it specifically yet, but we finally got picked up from a larger platform for uh, distribution. And it's a safe platform, and, and it's, it, it really reflects all of the things that I, I was talking about today and and we'll be able to officially announce that soon but i'm hoping that that will really increase our odds of of reaching and serving more more families congratulations thank you very much thank you thank you and thanks for all you thanks for all you do i really i I am a new fan but i am absolutely a fan of your podcast thank you thank you that means a lot coming from you do you have any social media handles or an instagram handle you want to share with our listeners well, the easiest thing is just to go to dannyjoestreehouse.com. And from there, you can get to our Instagram and our Facebook. It's, it's all pretty much at Danny Joe's Treehouse. But the, uh, the website's a great place to go, and you can get to our videos from there. Great. Well, again, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you both. That was such a lovely talk with Danny. I felt like we could have just kept chatting. And I kind of feel like he could have kept chatting, too. Yeah, he's a really good chatter, and he has given us so much to think about, about the way we consume media with our kids, and uh, we really appreciate his time. All right, so before we jump into this week's topic, I just, I felt like I needed to briefly address the fact that we're covering a lot of Netflix titles right now, and a little bit Disney Plus, but I feel like Netflix is super dominant. And normally we try to spread the love among the various streaming platforms and cable networks. But guys, Netflix is just releasing a ton of new content right now. It's a numbers game. You're not seeing new kids stuff coming out of Hulu or out of Amazon Prime. So We have been focusing on Netflix. If you don't have Netflix, we apologize, but we're just going where the new stuff is. If you know of any new stuff coming out on other platforms, listeners, we'd love to hear about it. So please hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. And if you don't have Netflix, you probably know somebody who does. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so today's topic, unsurprisingly, new Netflix show called Izzy's Koala World. It premiered September 15th, 2020 on Netflix, and it had an eight-episode first season. The episodes are pretty short. We wanted to try and talk about something short today because we knew we were going to have a pretty long conversation with Danny. We wanted to leave enough time for that. So this is a documentary series that follows Izzy B, an Australian girl whose family runs a koala rescue. And each episode pretty much follows them taking care of a koala and then releasing that koala back into the wild. I feel like we picked this because we thought it would be short and I'm a little worried that I have too much to say about it. I think reality TV for kids is a really interesting space because it requires some mental gymnastics on our part. If we accept the premise that we don't want to serve our kids trash TV, thank you, Danny, we were listening, then 
we have to believe that reality TV isn't trash TV, which reality TV is totally trash TV. At least I think it is. I think reality TV has a bad rep from things like Rock of Love, Uh (laughs) Real World, Real Housewives. But we've watched some decent kids reality TV. The Get Out of My Room comes to mind. I think... I think it's not trash. And I definitely think Izzy's koala, koala world is not trash. Well, as usual, Deborah, so much nicer than me. Okay, so what did we watch? We watched episode one, Rosie's Rescue, episode five, Juliet's Release, and episode eight, Goodbye, Leah. We will really quickly go through the episodes one by one and then move on to our more general thoughts. Do you want to take us through Rosie's Rescue? Sure. So in Rosie's Rescue... Izzy, her mom, who is a wildlife veterinarian, and her dad, who doesn't really give him qualifications. They take in Rosie, who's a koala that's gotten lost. They care for her overnight, and then the next day they find her a really nice place to live on their island, which is mostly a wildlife refuge. And we are introduced to their little koala compound. Uh Uh-huh. And all the different koalas that they care for on some a really short-term basis, some a longer-term basis. You guys, I wish you could see Deborah's face right now. She just, when she said koala compound, her face just lit up. You can tell that this brought her at least some level of joy in these dark times. Exciting. (laughs) Yeah, this felt for me very, like, aspirational TV. Like, I want to move to Australia and care for abandoned koalas. They are so cuddly. Like Izzy goes in, we're just talking about this episode and sort of general thoughts about the show, but she goes in to her favorite koala, Princess Leia, and Leia just hugs her for like a really long time and doesn't want to let go. (laughs) It's true. They do seem super duper cuddly. So it's like the best of having like a baby and a pet like you can cuddle with it but then you can also like leave it in a cage and walk away because really it wants to sleep for like 20 hours a day what was the insane number of hours a koala sleeps i wasn't listening all right juliet's release uh followed a similar trajectory to rosie's rescue except juliet is a koala that they'd had for a bit longer she had some ants give her an infection in her eyes so they had to keep her until her eyes were well enough I thought the standout of this episode was that Izzy's mom let Izzy under her supervision but do pretty much the entire veterinary examination before they release Juliet which I thought was really cute and possibly questionable from a medical standpoint but cute from a television standpoint so a hallmark of reality tv made for grown-ups is just the manufactured tension like that the producers must spend a whole lot of time behind the scenes making sure translates to on screen and i love how in this show like the main source of tension is that juliet the koala has shorter claws (laughs) normal and so they have to find her a tree with suitably grippy bark so that she can 
climb up it and it's like really touch and go for a little bit mm-hmm. if Izzy and her dad are going to find the right tree or not. <laughs> and that is the level of tension that I want from my entertainment TV right now. Yeah, they do have an interlude in every episode in which Izzy and her father ride on her father's motorcycle and Izzy rides in the sidecar, which I thought only happened in like cartoon dog movies. But here it is (laughs) happening in reality. And they go out and find the perfect tree in which to release whichever koala they're releasing in that episode. It's really cute. And if I could do an Australian accent, I would imitate Izzy's dad saying like, Good choice, Is That's pretty good. <laughs> so in Goodbye, Leia, this is the last episode of the season. Leia, who Izzy and her mom have recognized is Izzy's best friend. They have to release her into the wild. And I'm not crying. I'm not crying. <laughs> <laughs> I know that normally I'm a crier, but... You're going to hate me for saying this. So we watched, this is the last of the episodes we watched. I feel like I'd gotten a good sense of Izzy's personality. Throughout this episode, Goodbye Leia, Izzy's mom and dad were like exchanging meaningful looks with one another and with the camera because they were obviously quite worried about how saying goodbye to her best friend would affect Izzy. And I felt like even the producers expected Izzy to have some emotional reaction. But she pretty much maintained the exact same demeanor and vocal cadence as she had throughout the other episodes we watched. So my question for you is, is there a possibility that Izzy is a sociopath? See, I read it more as she was going through the denial stage of grief. Mm. Because when they Leia climbs up a tree, she doesn't get very far. And then they put her in like a smaller tree. Mm-hmm. And she does climb up. And Izzy's like, I'm going to come back here and see you tomorrow, Leia. And I don't know if Leia's going to be there. Well, didn't she go back and Leia was gone? And then they had a talking head with Izzy. And she was like, I'm so glad that Leia found a the confidence to leave her little tree it means she's doing well in the wild With... did that happen yes i, remember that I think it did okay maybe she is a sociopath <laughs> it was so weird because you could feel her parents were like girding themselves for a big emotional reaction and then there just was nothing deborah did you like the concept 100 <laughs> percent Oh, I'm sorry to disappoint you with my questions about Izzy being a sociopath. I don't mean to ruin this for you. Slash, I derive some joy from ruining this for you. (laughs) (laughs) I want a koala so badly after watching this show. I just want to plop myself into their koala compound. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you like it? I thought it was a little slow. I did look at the clock a bit while I was watching it. And think to myself, only five minutes have passed and there's another 10 minutes left, which for a 15 minute show to me is kind of a bad sign. I came to like Izzy's parents quite a bit. So as I became more interested in watching their routines and what they did, I think I started to like the show more. Yeah, I could really just watch koalas. And then the show did a funny thing where they would show the koala's face on screen and then they'd add 
like little animation like they'd have the koala's eyes water so it looked <laughs> sad or like so like exclamation marks so I thought that personification of the koalas was really entertaining yeah because koalas unlike puppies don't really look all that different from one another so they also when they rescue a koala Izzy gets to name it based on its characteristics and like everything she said you're like uh sure I guess that koala has big ears but it also. is a koala. <laughs> Big fuzzy ears, yeah. So the animation was a really nice touch to lend some personality and differentiation to koalas, who, while they look cuddly, are not the most dynamic of protagonists for a television show. What did you think about Izzy's parents? Uh, I wanted to know more about how did they end up there? Like, what did Izzy's mom go to school for? Is that like a something you specialize in in veterinary school is koalas Mm -hmm. I had I had a lot of questions I also wonder who pays you if you're a wildlife vet same question yeah like it must be like a state funded right it would have to be because like at one point a neighbor brings a koala to their compound that she found in her apartment (laughs) building oh Australia (laughs) (laughs) but like that lady didn't have to pay a bill right like a stray koala oh things other countries infrastructures pay for that our country's infrastructure does not right (laughs) what did you think of the length did you want more did you want just like scandinavian style slow tv just shots of the koalas hanging out in their cages like stretching and occasionally eating some nice juicy leaf I would have watched that. I mean, I think this show really struck a chord with me because the news is just too much. And I feel like I need like a couple days where I can just tune out. But I can't because there's so much going on and it changes every single day. So this was a nice, you know, 18 and a half minute break from reality. That's fair. Did you think it was a little too long? (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. To me, it was a a little slow and the cute scrapbook style animations weren't enough for me to really emotionally connect with any of the different koalas. Sure. (laughs) Did you have any thoughts on the theme song? I thought it was catchy. It was cute. It had a nice descriptive theme song, which is a genre of theme song that I like. It tells you exactly what you're going to get, Gilligan's Island style, you know, just from the theme song. Yeah, totally. Not that it would be super tricky to pick up, but... They cover all the bases, who Izzy is, who her parents are, where they live, blah 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 So did you compare this to any grown-up movies or TV shows? Okay, I haven't watched either one of these, but Crocodile Dundee, Animals Australia, mm-hmm. were the links, obviously, and then Tiger King? Yeah, it has been. Tiger King is having a bit of a resurgence now because Carol Baskin is on Dancing with the Stars. She might not be once this episode airs. We're a little early. <laughs> but isn't Tiger King about like people who rescue or maybe illegally have wild animals. Confession, I only watched the first episode. I think it it's pretty much people who illegally have wild animals. Okay. I think. Okay. You haven't watched it either? No. Mm-mm. Zero desire. So what did you compare it to? So there's this reality show that I've seen a couple episodes of, and I just couldn't even be bothered to look up what the title of it was. 
but it's a guy whose job is to take away nuisance animals that end up in people's houses. So, like, mostly it's pests and, like, possums and, like, things that are dangerous that you wouldn't, like, just shoo out yourself like a mouse. Like, snakes and such. That made me think of that. Yeah, that's a good one. You know, we've had, like, a wildlife pest control company come a couple of times for one time in our old house bats. We had an ant problem. And the folks who work in that industry are real characters. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like great fodder for a reality show. Yeah. Did you cast the gritty HBO reboot? This is kind of mean. (laughs) I called Izzy a sociopath, so do your (laughs) best. (laughs) I would watch a show about whoever whomever rescues all the pets that Lena Dunham throws away. I didn't even know this was a thing. It's a thing. She features pets on her Instagram and then they'll just like disappear. And she, there was some Lena Dunham like scandal where she apologized or explained what had happened to her dogs. And then there's always like new pets. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of weird. That sounds like a fascinating topic. I just imagine there's like an intern somewhere whose job it is to take them to animal, the humane society, but instead they just bring them home. And I would title the show Lena's Lena's Throwaway. Were you able to cast the great HBO reboot? Okay, so cast your mind back. I don't even know how long ago this was, but ages and ages ago, there was a video going around the internet of Kristen Bell being gifted a visit from a sloth by her husband for her birthday. I watched that, yes. (laughs) And she was just so overcome by the idea of this happening that she couldn't even pull it together to like go out into the next room to see the sloth. I think maybe I was reacting to Izzy's lack of emotion and I thought if I were to cast this, I need someone to bring an excess of emotion to each koala rescue. And uh, I think she'd really hit it out of the park. That is a great, great idea. (laughs) Did we have anything like this when we were kids? I mean, there were like National Geographic Mm -hmm. shows about animals in the wild. If there had been a show about a young girl taking care of koalas when I was like, nine or ten that would have probably set me on a different trajectory in life oh <laughs> it gave me if... some serious free willy vibes would you ever watch this alone voluntarily i think i know the answer okay this is my election night plan <laughs> i'm gonna fix myself like a stiff drink or an extra large glass of wine <laughs> And I'm going to get into bed with an iPad and I'm going to put on Izzy's Koala World and I'm going to go to sleep early. Oh, how about you? Would you watch this alone? No, I don't think so. I think, too, my kids are a little bit too hyper to respond to the, the slow pace, which kind of dovetails nicely into 10 seconds on whether or not this is good for our kids. I think totally fine for kids. I showed Libby a little bit of it and she wasn't into it. Which disappointed me. Maybe our kids just get enough snuggles from us. They don't like necessarily respond to the appeal of having a fuzzy animal give you snuggles right now. Maybe. I think I've been feeding them too much garbage TV that's like, bam, bam, frame shot, frame after frame after frame, too fast. 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> what do you want, guys? 2020 ratings? <laughs> A score of five stars from me. <laughs> See, I even contemplated going as low as two. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'll give it a three just because I really liked Izzy's parents, but I found her whole demeanor to be so off-putting. <laughs> there you go, folks. Once again, Deborah's so much nicer than I am. Thanks for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time Too. Thank you again to Danny Labreck for chatting with us. It was so good to hear about Danny Joe's Treehouse. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye! 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 Bye!